but I'd like to first uh, start with a short reflection on the path just to close the fourth noble truth. We ask the question, what is the path? And I'd like to turn that around and ask the question, what is not the path? Is the mind still functioning? Is the body still functioning? Is there still sensation, perception? What, what could possibly not be the path? Now, it could be wrong path. <laughs> okay? But if we're talking about a wise path, we can begin to, from the right at the start that there's nothing that's not possible to fully encompass in the path. Again, this construction process is going on without any uh, reins on it, without any harness, without any... It's off, it's gone. Or something has brought in the awareness, the wisdom that turns that towards the releasing of that binding process. That's it. So retreat is part of that totality. And it's a quite extraordinary part. It's a special part. It has a specific function that, in my opinion, can't be met any other way. Immersive practice creates the opportunity to cultivate certain qualities of the mind that can then penetrate. That's not normal. And it's really powerful. It's really helpful. But what is it? One thousandth of your life? One five hundredth of your life? I don't know. It's tiny. But every moment is a moment of building the prison or unbuilding the prison every moment. As we were saying earlier, our intimate relationships, the way we eat, our lifestyle choices, it's all part of it. I don't think that's new to you. Uh, But what I am suggesting is that First of all, when we bring the sort of seed teachings of the Dhamma into that totality, it can influence like like, like a, a magnet that might be small in terms of how much time its thought is given in that direction, but it's a strong one. It's a strong medicine. It's a water-purifying gem. So some thought of, let's say, as simple as, is the mind clinging now, follows you through the day, it can make a difference. Some question like, how is this hunger for being, being seen, becoming, now? 
Or is this this hunger, this thing I'm feeling? If there's suffering, there's hunger underneath, right? So you just take that and you take it wherever you are. You don't have to sit with your legs crossed. You don't have to go away to do that. In fact, if you go away to do that, you'll be outside the situations that actually are most potentially powerful for effacement because that's where it comes up. So that the message is this taking of the the simplest, clearest, most penetrating wisdom you can find into your life. I recommend the Buddha Dhamma. But it's really up to you. And of course there's all kinds of mixtures because the Buddha Dhamma doesn't touch everything. It touches a lot, but there's a lot of wisdom in this world. I find this particular body of wisdom quite extraordinary. You make your own decisions on that. And if you're going to take the penetrating wisdom teachings into the totality of your life, then let yourself be fully challenged by it. Don't just pick and choose. Don't say, oh, well, this suffering probably has nothing to do with a hunger. It's their fault. I'm good. Push it a little bit. Where there's suffering, there's hunger. Where there's suffering, there's clinging, there's identification, there's grasping. That's for sure. See for yourself. Greg says there's for sure. Buddha says it's for sure. A lot of people say it for sure. You find out. But the way to find out is to put together this seed wisdom into the totality. Now, if you understand and really believe and feel that this vision of a totality, a whole life of a path, is, you know, makes sense to you or feels meaningful in some way, then obviously you can't leave out the fully relational. That's where this work is situated. To actually open this door, not just to the morality practices that are the basis of how we relate to other human beings. Because without that, you have nothing. You have nothing at all. As long as the mind is distorted and contorted and stressed and confused and selfish in its lying, its rough speech, in its intoxicants, in its uh, unwise sexual behavior, in its killing and in its stealing... As long as we're in that, obviously, the, the prison walls are not only intact, they're growing. They're getting thicker, heavier, <coughs> and it will take many mind moments, maybe many lifetimes, to dissolve that stuff. Morality is the basis, and it's all relational. Morality is a relational concept. It's how we treat others, how we treat this mind even with intoxicants, then affects how we treat others. You can't separate them. But to understand it goes beyond that, this relationality, I hope you've touched, where it can penetrate into the depths of your meditative practice. 
of the right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, the development of wisdom. So we let it touch us in its totality. So our sense of the path has that warmth and breadth scope of life itself. The fact that the Buddha divided it into eight areas was so we could remember it, so we could deal with it. It's just a tool, it's a trick, it's a, it's a mnemonic, a, it's, you know, it's a constructed system. But it's a brilliant one. And if you realize that right speech includes email, includes videos, it includes the photographs you share, it includes your listening, it includes and names this power of this loop that arises between. Tremendous power in it. So, how do we, how do we live? How do we work with this? Or if we understand that right view is not just a description of there's wisdom, this is a path, it's practice. Right view is a practice. It's not just an arrived state. It is that. But it is something one cultivates, develops, gives attention to, like we've been doing all week. This is a wisdom practice. When when you speak with a friend about things that really matter and there's this seed of wisdom in it, you are practicing right view. If you're speaking with a friend and it's all around delusion and fostering the delusion, you're practicing. But you're practicing wrong view, unwise view, view that's not informed by the nature of grasping and pain. A view that's not informed by the emptiness of the self and the potential of recognizing awareness, recognizing the freeing of the mind. That's all. But it's a practice. And so it goes. We see then, we pick up a magazine. Are we practicing wise view or unwise view with this study? Study is part of wise view. Or are we giving enough attention to the development of wise view? Are we giving enough attention to the development of right living, right livelihood? Someone like a monastic has an entire set of rules, a whole lifestyle, a whole structure to support his or her how do I live? What have you got? You go do anything you want pretty much if you have enough money or enough time and no one catches you. What have you got? So when we talk about right living or right livelihood, how you actually use resources, you consume and you produce, where are you in that loop really? Without the protection of the vinya, the monastics rules, without anyone looking over your shoulder. So how you live becomes a practice. 
So all the path factors can be un, un, unpacked that way. But it all comes back to this sense of a totality and having the seed wisdom in there to keep informing it. Where's that going to come from for you? How's that going to happen? How are we going to remember the mindfulness? How are we going to remember the qualities that we've touched? It's a serious question. Our whole culture goes against it. A lot of your relationships, a lot of my relationships are with people who don't know about this stuff. And, you know, it's a a very well-meaning thing to tell you about the latest sale at the department store because it's so beautiful what they're selling and it's such a great price. And yet it's fostering desire in the simple way. It's not necessarily coming from where you're coming from. It's not evil. It's lovely. It's an act of generosity. I'm just saying that in, this, in all these casual ways, turning on the television, looking at something on the internet, what the messages we're getting run counter to this. How do you clean the mind, orient the mind in such a situation? It doesn't happen by itself. This is the volitional movement, the giving of the heart, because maybe you've begun to see something different. Maybe there's a sense of a path that really is a totality. So with that as a starting point, all the stuff I'm going to say is just data points in that space. That's all. You know, there's nothing that I would try to promote or nothing that is a fixed answer. Your life has its particulars that I have no idea what they are. Yeah. When we develop consciously or unconsciously wrong view or unskillful wrong view, unfortunately that diminishes the right view. It's not just not doing anything. Yeah, absolutely. That's the tragic about it. Clouds the mind, yeah, confuses. So, uh, a question that, of course, immediately comes up is what now? Especially for those who have just been introduced to this relational practice. And for maybe some of you, it's a maybe not a first, but a, a more direct introduction to Dhamma than you've had in the past. So what now? I mean, if something's been stirred, what now? Um, Some of what I'll say is really obvious, but it's important to, to polish this. Your individual silent meditation practice is like the diamond in the middle. The simplicity of it should be guarded, honored. It's in those places of simplicity and silence that one 
can touch the relationship of mind, of heart, and world. And without that clarity of that relationship, the relationship with other humans can't possibly be clear. It's not possible. So your retreats, your traditional teachers, precious, precious, precious resources. And another precious resource is the wise teachings. I strongly recommend that you touch into the words of the Buddha and see how it feels. That's what we were just doing in Dharma contemplation. It's not so intimidating. If you just pick up one of these incredibly fat books and start reading, you may feel like you're trying to read a Bible and you may get a reaction to the language, to the religiosity, to the forms. Totally understood. And it takes a while to you know, soak into that formidable exterior to move beyond into something that you feel the heart. But did you feel some heart today in what you were reading? That's straight out of the Pali Canon. It's not distant for you. It's not something you can't understand. Some of it is definitely beyond one's understanding, beyond mine, beyond yours. And a lot of it is not. But if the form is difficult, then find other ways of getting into it with Dharma contemplation, with some sutta study kind of thing, and to let it be known in relation to other wisdom traditions that touch you, no problem. Yes, I'm, I'm uh, myself very oriented towards this tradition, but I'm also you know, really respectful and touched and personally moved by other wisdom traditions. And I keep my heart open. I recommend the same. But of course, in the marketplace as it is now, you know, you can probably finish that sentence your own way. You know, how do you orient if you try to take everything in, try to do everything? It's not possible. Go for the depth. So you can follow up with silent retreat practice. You can follow up with more insight dialogue retreat practice. A first retreat is a first retreat. If you rethink back to when you first did a silent retreat, you know, I think back to my first one. It was amazing, magical. I had touched the practice before that, but then to drop in was amazing. So was it like, okay, now I know how to do that? No, not at all. I'll be on retreat again this year. Why? Same reasons, right? To deepen, to understand, to polish, to refine, to learn, to let go, to be cleansed, to be burned, to be incinerated, whatever. So it is here. 
And you can also uh, find practice partners. My recommendation is that while you're here, eating lunch or whatever, hook up with someone. Practice by telephone, by Skype, face-to-face. You know that people here have just given nearly a week to the practice. Whatever they've touched, they've touched. You may have touched something together. I don't know. So you've got a pretty good starting point. Be very particular. Say, yeah, let's do this. And... Uh, if you want to introduce it to a friend, feel free. Realize that they haven't had the same experience you have, so, you know, your ability to convey that without pushing is, you know, going to matter a great deal. Um, There are groups... There's a group that's uh, in the process of forming in London, and uh, it wouldn't start until after the close of this year, is my understanding. Maybe November, November, we don't know. There's a sign-up sheet on the the dinner table if people are interested in being involved. Great. Thank you. There's a group in Bristol. I don't know if there's more space. Raise your hand. And um, the people who are offering these groups have done several retreats and have gotten some support. If you want to go form a group right out of this retreat, um, I would give thought and care to what doors you're opening that you may not be really ready to open, both in how you understand the practice but also what may unfold in the people coming to touch the moment in this way. What's responsible? What's wise? And definitely, this has not been a professional training. It's something that has to be increasingly clarified as mindfulness comes into the world of the professions. You're not authorized to do anything. You do whatever you want, of course. It, it enters your heart. But really, it's, this has not been a professional training. And, uh, you know, give care with that respect. Um, and in particular, practicing with close friends practicing with spouses can be a quite beautiful opportunity to touch something that is right at the boundary of the constructed intimacy and the unconstructed intimacy. Do you understand? All week you've been touching unconstructed intimacy, meeting what is here when there's just nothing in the way. Do you understand? That's why you can feel safe. That's why you can feel intimate with someone you don't know. In a marriage, a long-term relationship, you have a different kind of intimacy, a constructed intimacy. I can't give that talk now. I'm sorry. But it's a great opportunity. But the challenge, of course, is to recognize There's a lot of fabricating going on just by looking at this person. 
just by being in a room with them, by being in a room where maybe he or she bought the teapot. You know? And with whom you will be again in a different way in a half hour or something. This is not a drop-in thing. That's by definition. So respect the boundaries of the practice. Let it be intentional. It begins. It has some silence to establish it. It has a contemplation that keeps it centered around wisdom rather than who does or does not squeeze the toothpaste from what part of the tube. And then it ends. So that the wisdom element can come directly into the meditation and directly into the life, directly into the relationship. It's a beautiful thing. There have been people over the years that have done this, and I've seen some very sweet Results. What's that? Um, Regarding other opportunities to support your practice, I'll say some things that are offered by Meta Foundation. Um, And the real thing is to go to meta.org and see what's there. Uh, There's no sign up for a mailing list because you can go online and if you're really interested, that's a much better, more reliable way because someone may not be able to read your handwriting anyway. So that's the best way to join the mailing list. And there's not much that's sent out. You will not we no names will be shared with other lists, not none of that. And it's just an occasional newsletter or announcement. That's you know. So you get to stay in touch with what's going on. Uh, which can be helpful. Out on the table out there is a postcard for the Stepping Stone Sangha. This is a uh part of a small family of programs built around insight dialogue as a gathering and learning process for a distance community, a global community. There's people from many, many uh, continents, many time zones that gather in the Dhamma, in insight dialogue, moving through some set of teachings, but not at all with the mind. It's actually very little uh, um, in the way of, let's say, reading. And it's not a study program, is what I'm saying. It's a, it's a life practice program. So what you are offered is contemplations that you take into your daily life, that you, uh, you know, audio talks from myself, but also from other teachers in this area of relational understanding of the Dhamma and including the formal, traditional ways of understanding the Dhamma. But always, like, how does this touch? And then to meet an inside dialogue via <coughs> Skype can be quite uh, a remarkably effective practice. 
And so the Stepping Stone Sangha is sort of the entry point. And then after one has gone through that, that's more self-paced, but with teacher contact. And then, then that kind of gets everybody up to speed enough to be in the whole life program because they've already done some Skype practice. They've already got some basis in the Dhamma. Now the whole life is like, the whole life program can continue with some maturity rather than just people dropping in. See the relationship there. So that, there's some information on that out there. Yeah, yeah. And the teachers that you'll be in touch with, I, I'm not teaching these directly, although there's lots and lots of talks of mine that are the basis of this, but the direct contact uh, is not with me for those who... Yeah. Um, also, um, there was interest at this retreat. Someone came up to me and said they wanted to gather together uh, people who are interested in how this relates to uh, work in psychotherapy and psychology. Um, as you see fit, uh, you can do that. Uh, and there are, there is a program called the Relational Insight Meditation Program, RIM. And this is a maturation and development process for psychotherapists, psychologists, psychotherapists, built around insight dialogue and a relational understanding of the Dhamma. The program is launching with a profession, its first training, but this is not a training to learn a skill. This is a, to form the heart. You understand, it's, this is not, we're not teaching an intervention. This is deepening the capacity to be present relationally. Just like we've done here but with a specific orientation that comes from the knowledge of decades of practice. The people who are teaching this are very, very skilled, very dedicated in both insight dialogue and Western psychotherapy. And specifically, a tremendous amount of attention is being given to bridging the languages of Western and Buddhist psychology with this relational perspective. So that's part of it. I don't teach that stuff here. And in fact, I don't... Obviously, I do think about and I'm influenced by what's the Western psychology thing. But this is much more than I know or I could do or that's my strength, my offering. But the people offering it are very, very good. Um, It it should be. I haven't looked... I, I haven't read the website in a while. But with the RIM program launching in Austria... In a week and a half, it certainly should all be up there, and uh, and so there's a retreat that's launching, and I think they'll do a couple more in Australia and the U.S. But then there's going to be a, a year or two year long support program as well, built around insight dialogue and the Dhamma again. Um, and I'll close with. Uh, a completely selfish request, uh, the same way that sometimes Bonte says, could you please offer this to me like there's a banana and hasn't been offered, but he needs something to eat for his breakfast, and so I 
can offer it. So I, it's in that spirit. Um, I, too, was given some books by Amaravati, via Bhante, and I can't carry them. Does anybody, if you, you can come up to me later, care to ship a package of books to the U.S. for me, about this big? Um, that would be very generous if someone wants to offer that as Donna. And the other little piece of Donna that I could be offered is I'm here about another two and a half days, and I hear it's beautiful around here, but I think the staff are all really busy. And there was one garden in particular that my wife said I have to see. I don't know where it is, but if anybody wants to spend some time with humble me, uh, I've got some time, and I rarely get to be a tourist. I usually retreat, retreat, retreat. So I'd like to enjoy that moment. So come on up and talk to me. And I forgot, this This is not a sold book. It's a Donna publication on Dharma contemplation. Uh, it's just finished. But there's no Dharma contemplation program because we just don't have the staff to offer it. But eventually, maybe that'll happen. And I don't know how you're going to get this book, but I just thought I'd show you it exists. <laughs> Just finished it a little while ago. Actually, I finished it about three years ago. I thought it was terrible, and then rewrote it. Um, anything, Bhante? Okay. So, before closing with a short loving kindness practice, um, I'm sorry? I can't hear you. Oh, okay. Go ahead and say that now. Uh, I just want to say thank you and goodbye because I have to leave at one o'clock because I don't have time. It's very enjoyable. May you transcend Dukkha. And thank you for, especially also to Gaia House to make this possible for me to be here. This is not something I take for granted. Mm. And thank you for your generosity. Yeah, thanks for being with me. So that's, yeah. I'd like to thank Rosie for her loving. Yeah, you beat me to it. I was just about to do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I have no, no, no ownership. Thank you, Rosie. Really, really helpful. And she does it much better than I do. I usually have to do it. Yeah, and uh, Bhante, thank you for being here and holding the, holding the tradition as well as all of our conversations. To the support of the staff, thank you, Emma, for all that you've done. And the staff aren't here, but uh, of course we know that this is made possible by that, by their personal generosity, their commitment to the Dhamma. my deep appreciation also to Gaia House for taking a chance and offering this practice in this hall. Do you understand?
Right, is this the right time to offer our thanks to you and to Bante, without whom none of this So thank you for your practice, for diving in, for taking risks, and I hope your heart has turned in some genuinely, deeply useful way. So in closing, taking a moment to reflect on whatever goodness is alive in the heart, in this very body, this fathom-long body, with its awareness, with its flesh and blood. with its thoughts and its emotions. The tenderness of this human experience received right now with love, with care. May I be free from suffering. Know that. May I be free from suffering. And the heart grows and expands to encompass your spiritual community right here. All these beings that, like you, have a body of flesh, thoughts and emotions. May they be free from stress and fear. May they be free from all suffering. May they be at peace. And knowing that all the beings on this planet with their flesh, their thoughts, their perceptions, emotions, hopes, fears, aging, death. May they too be free from suffering. May they be at peace. And beings, wherever they may be, expanding without bounds into the unknowable, the vastness, every possible universe, 
every possible being, with and without flesh, with and without thoughts and emotions. May they be free from suffering. May they be liberated. May the benefits of our practice be shared with all beings without exception. May all beings be well and happy. May all beings be well and happy. May all beings be well and happy. May there be peace. May there be peace. May there be peace. Thank you, friends. My understanding is that there's uh, the library has something. Is that am I supposed to say that? Yeah. Do I say anything about? I don't have anything to say. Okay. Go well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.